Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 26th of May. Thank you so much for listening to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. Today on the show, you'll find out more about the drug Donald Trump is taking. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. When you hear it in that context, it sounds completely crazy. But in a moment, you're going to meet an Aussie researcher running a trial on the drug to see if it is effective in preventing COVID-19. Jamila Rizvi joins me first. Jamila... Do you take your medical cues from Donald Trump? Not always, but look, he's got some <laughs> good points to make. And, you know, I've heard some good things about the guy. I've heard some great things right. about the guy, Tom. <laughs> All right, before we get into that, uh, let's find out what else is going on in the news today. Day one of the Bushfire Royal Commission and the Weather Bureau has given evidence that our black summer just passed will not be a one-off event. And the severity of the worst fire danger days is becoming more severe. So things really played out the way um, our forecast models suggested they would. That's Dr Carl Braganza at the hearing yesterday. He's from the Bureau of Meteorology. And this hearing is for the Royal Commission that Scott Morrison set up in the wake of the bushfires to find out what happened and what could be done better in future. That's right. Helen Clough, a doctor from the CSIRO, also appeared before the Royal Commission. Clough warned that some of these extreme events are actually unavoidable, simply because of emissions our world has already created. And although next summer is tipped to be milder because Australia will be wetter this year, future bushfire seasons will not only start earlier and finish later... They'll also become worse and more extreme. The Commission was also told that the COVID-19 pandemic had slowed recovery efforts. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to learn much new out of this Royal Commission, Jamila, because all of that stuff we, we knew already heading into it, there was already so much science and research that had gone into bushfire risk. This is something we have been told again and again and again, and the climate scientists must just have been pulling their hair out even more than the rest of us over the summer. They would have had that sadness, but also, gosh, they must have had some underlying fury at the sense that these kind of events could be prevented if only the world listened to them. We are going to learn more about the way the federal government and the states work together when dealing with an emergency, um, which was tested during the bushfires, but I I think they would have learnt quite a few lessons about that throughout the COVID-19 pandemic as well. And we're a country that understands bushfires, right? We know how this works. We work pretty well together. Our fire brigades are some of the best in the world, but the fires are getting tougher and harder and more frequent. Still on the fires, you might remember comedian Celeste Barber's bushfire fundraiser that raised $51 million. Well, the Supreme Court has finally ruled on how the money can be spent. Can the trustees pay money to other charities or rural fire services, whether in New South Wales or the other Australian states and territories, to assist in providing relief to persons and animals affected by bushfires? The court answers that question, no. The court ruled that the money can only be spent by the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. The comedian was initially aiming for $30,000. Instead, she managed to pull off the single biggest fundraiser in the history of Facebook. Yes, yeah, so once her fundraiser really blew up, she said she wanted to divide the money between various interstate bushfire brigades and, and other charities. 
But as you just heard, the money can only be spent within the legal limits of the trust that she nominated. So Celeste Barber challenged in court and yesterday it ruled the money can only be spent in New South Wales and on the relatives of New South Wales volunteers who were killed or who were hurt and require rehabilitation, their physical, mental health training, trauma counselling and other programs to support individual fireys and also equipment for the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. Yeah, which I guess is still really good ways to spend the money. Um, g- given the risks we were just hearing about, it will be really good to have a really beefed up New South Wales Rural Fire Service. You're feeling good up there north of the border, aren't you, Tom? <laughs> it's a bit rougher for those of us who live down in Victoria. I do think it's such a shame because Celeste Barber did a really, really good thing. She had no idea mm. that she would fundraise that much money and clearly her scope and her intentions early on is unfortunately what she's stuck with. Australian government health authorities have reported no increase in the suicide rate during the coronavirus pandemic, despite initial fears of a spike. The best of my knowledge, there has not been a discernible increase uh, in suicides. That is not to say that we shouldn't constantly be striving to lower that number, um, but uh, there has not been a discernible increase. But I do think it's something we need to continue to watch. So that's really good news coming from the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for Mental Health, Ruth Vine. And the federal government has announced they'll continue to spend more money on mental health with another $20 million announcement yesterday specifically focused on preventing suicide. Some of the money from this round of funding will go specifically towards enhancing research into men's health since they're the most likely to take their own lives and less likely to seek any help, Tom. Yeah, and if you do need help, you can, of course, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. One of the country's top doctors is demanding an urgent science-based information campaign after celebrity chef Pete Evans went on a popular breakfast radio show where he raised disproven conspiracy theories about vaccines and their impact on children. Boss of the Australian Medical Association, Dr Tony Bartoni, criticised the radio hosts for not challenging Evans' on-air claims. He says anyone who speaks against proven science needs to be openly contradicted and the record has to be set straight. He also said that anyone who gives them a platform can expect to also be held to a similar account. Yeah, Dr Batoni's told the nine newspapers that the anti-vaxxer movement is growing and the federal government must move to promote the science above all else or risk undoing decades of progress. Back in April, Pete Evans was fined $25,000 for claiming a $15,000 light machine had the potential to cure coronavirus. Yeah, and if you want more information on the 5G conspiracy theories, go back to our episode on Wednesday and Thursday last week where we went right into depth. And some news that's just come to hand relating to our briefing topic today. The World Health Organization has dropped hydroxychloroquine from its COVID-19 trial. This is the malaria drug that Donald Trump is tanking. And you're about to hear more about that. The drug was part of the WHO's global study into experimental coronavirus treatments. But now after safety concerns, they've announced it won't be part of that trial. All right, so let's get deeper into hydroxychloroquine with Annika Smethurst. All right, let's talk hydroxychloroquine. It's the drug that Donald Trump revealed he's been taking to try and reduce his chances of getting COVID-19. He dropped that revelation in a press conference last week. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. 
couple of weeks ago I started taking it because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. So there it was. It took reporters by surprise. Um, one of the wilder moments of the pandemic for Trump, and that's saying something because he also talked about injecting disinfectant into our lungs. Um, here's how that press conference continued. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Excuse me. A lot of doctors take it. I take it. I hope to not be able to take it soon because, you know, I hope they come up with some answer. I think for whatever it's worth, I take it. I would have told you that three, four days ago, but we never had a chance because you never asked me the question. So an amazing moment there from Donald Trump. And there's been a lot of speculation about this drug as a potential COVID-19 preventative since he started talking about it back in mid-March, Annika. Yeah, but Trump isn't the only world leader endorsing hydroxychloroquine. The Brazilian president and Tesla boss Elon Musk are also fans. And in Australia, mining magnate and former politician Clive Palmer has also taken out full-page ads in the last few months promoting hydroxychloroquine. Now, look, given none of them are scientists, those endorsements might not mean very convincing (laughs) to you out there. But there is a team of doctors in Australia actually trying to get to the bottom of this and work out whether hydroxychloroquine and can prevent people catching COVID-19 in the first place. Professor Mark Pellegrini is the lead researcher on that trial, which is happening at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research. So let's find out what he thinks of Trump's endorsement and also about the trial he's working on. Mark, thanks for joining us. What was your reaction when you heard that Trump had been tanking hydroxychloroquine? A little bit surprised, uh, but not um, absolutely gobsmacked, I suppose. I mean, we uh, we suspected he was taking something um, and he always alluded to the drug. There's a lot of confusion around this drug. Uh, Clive Palmer's been a proponent and, of course, Donald Trump, but it's actually been on the market for a while now for to treat other things. So can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, its uses and how long has it been around? Sure. So there's there's two drugs. One's called chloroquine, which has been around for many, many years, probably close to 70-odd years, to treat malaria. And then there's hydroxychloroquine, which uh, has probably been around for many tens of years, maybe about 50 years, to primarily in Australia to treat people who have got a life-threatening condition called uh, lupus, but also other rheumatic conditions. So both drugs have been around for a very long time. Doctors know how to use these drugs, and we sort of know who we shouldn't be giving these drugs to and certainly we know the correct dose so we're very very familiar with the side effects they're very good drugs to treat the diseases they're meant to treat so how dangerous are the side effects and i guess what risk could people be putting themselves in if they're taking it to try and prevent COVID 19 Tom, that's uh, a very good point. And these are all prescription medications. And like all prescription medications, they have to be given under medical supervision. Uh, so hydroxychloroquine uh, has got side effects. You know, it shouldn't be given to people who have got major heart conditions. Um, it can cause uh, vision problems. So people that have got a, a pre-existing problem with the back of their eye um, shouldn't be taking this drug. So like all drugs, we have to be very careful. It certainly shouldn't be combined with different types of drugs that can also cause heart problems. So we do have to be careful. Do you think Donald Trump fits the bill of a healthy person that should be taking this? I presume that uh, that his doctors have actually done ECGs, checked his blood pressure and made sure that he's able to take the drug, um, but don't know. He recommended taking it in combination with azithromycin, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. What do you make of that medical advice coming from Donald Trump? 
perfect pronunciation, Tom. Thank you. Um, the, the two drugs are actually quite dangerous when they're given together. And you'd have to be even more diligent if you're giving the two drugs in combination. The primary reason is because uh, the the two drugs interact with each other to heighten the risk of causing problems with heartbeat. Um, and so we generally wouldn't recommend the drugs would ever be used together. And if they were, they'd have to be uh, in a clinical trial under very strict supervision. There's been a lot of confusion about whether they actually work. The trials that have been done thus far haven't really been, I guess, in depth enough. What do you hope to achieve with your trial? Is it about trying to find a cure or is it about to, you know, finally getting a result on whether this drug works or not? Yeah, certainly components of, of both. I mean, obviously, we're quite altruistic in wanting to try and find something that is able to help um, healthcare workers or rather prevent infection. From my point of view, I think the drug is best used as a preventative. Most of the trials that have been um, pre-published, so a lot of them haven't been peer-reviewed yet, um, have reported that the drug doesn't work as a treatment in very sick um, people. And I think there's a tiny bit of um, credibility in that. It still hasn't been formally tested properly in a, a very robust test. I feel that there's still a certain degree of uncertainty as to whether hydroxychloroquine could be used to treat people that have got more mild disease or moderate disease. And certainly there's um, nothing to indicate that the drug doesn't work or indeed does work in people to prevent um, COVID-19. But the clinical trial we're doing is specifically looking to see if we can prevent COVID-19. So Mark, have some medical practitioners or, or, or anyone in Australia, have they been taking it already, even though it hasn't um, been through a peer-reviewed published trial yet to show that it actually works for preventing COVID-19? I don't think that's wise. Um, I certainly won't recommend it. And I'm not aware of it, um, but it's up to individual doctors. Certainly would not be recommending it. The The data is, is not there to support its use. And as I've mentioned, although we, we often say it's a safe drug, it's a safe drug because we know how to prescribe it. And we know who to prescribe it to and we do the appropriate test to make sure that we're giving it in a safe um, way. And if that's not being looked after diligently, then it could cause side effects. There's a lot of people obviously very fearful out there of this pandemic. And some of the stuff you're saying might indicate that there is a chance that if you take it, it you know keeps it at bay. What should people think about before doing this and how long should they wait, I guess, for your trial and other trials to get evidence? You know, when do you sort of see us getting some indication whether this is actually a successful trial? Yeah, look, I think that uh, two very important things. One, it's critical to establish where it does and doesn't work. So as I mentioned, in prevention, we really don't know whether it works or not. In in the treatment of disease, the, the data just isn't there to support its use either. So again, we have to be pretty careful. I know that there's a desperation to try and help people and people to take drugs to try and prevent the disease. But until you've actually shown that it works, you have to be incredibly careful because if it's taken without the medical supervision, it can cause damage or can cause harm more than it can cause benefit. How long do we have to wait is really, I, I suppose, our clinical trial, we're expecting it to run for about six to eight months. Um, and maybe some other in other parts of the world, they can get to a result a little bit sooner. Some of the treatment trials might get to to a result a little bit sooner. Mark, why do you think those, I guess, populist right-wing leaders, you know, Bolsonaro, Trump, and, and wannabe populist politicians like Clive Palmer are, are latching on to this as a solution? 
Weird, isn't it, Tom? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, look, I, I suppose it's because there was a, a little bit of media around the, the drug early on. Doctors had some insight. And, of course, these um, people latch on to these things very, very quickly. If you use, I suppose, the disinfectant and the, the strong lights and all of these other scenarios that Trump has, uh, has indicated, I suppose it's a, a degree of uh, bravadery on the, on the part of these very vocal people that would like to offer something to the public before any real robust tests have been done to prove it one way or another. Yeah, suppose they're giving people some sort of uh, advice, uh, albeit not good advice. Yeah, it, it seems to have a bit of a conspiratorial element that information's being held back from the public about these potentially really effective treatments for for some kind of reason, and, and these leaders are cutting through that and going straight to the solution. Yeah, I agree, and I suspect that's what happens in a pandemic is everyone's looking for something that will stop it or prevent it, and obviously these leaders, in, in by their nature, would like to offer um, grabs to people uh, to, to suggest to them that they know the answer. Um, that's how they operate. And certainly there is no data um, presently apart from the test tube and the little bit of data that's been published around treatment, which is generally not a robust test. Look, the Australian government obviously isn't advising anybody to take this yet, but that hasn't stopped other countries like Brazil actually recommending this for its people. It sounds like you think that might be a step too far to, um, I guess, for health bodies to suggest it. So it's about waiting for the results, you're saying? Yeah, look, I think that the Australian government has taken a very, very good approach. In, in actual fact, um, they've stopped the ability of doctors to prescribe this drug other than for clinical trials and other than for patients who are taking the drug for the purposes of their lupus or, or rheumatic conditions. And that was an incredibly important and good move on the basis of our government. In terms of uh, other governments around the world, it, it's, it is dangerous to suggest to the public that they should be going to their doctors and getting a prescription for this drug. To suggest to the doctors to give it a legitimacy is, is not a good thing. Mark, great to speak to you and we look forward to the results of your trial. Thank you very much. So that was Professor Mark Pellegrini there, obviously in lockstep with the Australian government about not rushing out and taking this yet. Look, I think a lot of polarising characters in this debate have divided people into two camps between those that think it's bogus and those that are adamant it works. But it sounds like the truth might be somewhere in between, Tom. Yeah, well, it's going to take a few months to find out. Um, we need to wait for those proper clinical trials to happen. Would you take it, Annika? Look, I think the rates are so low in Australia, I don't feel a great need to, but I can definitely understand if you're on the front line why, if you weren't in any other risk, why you wouldn't take it. Yeah, I guess if you checked in with your doctor and looked at those risk factors, um, it's interesting to compare this to a conspiracy theory. The reason I brought up that question was it feels like it's in that space that you've got a simple answer um, that people would love to be true versus the complex science often taking more time than people want to get to that answer and a, a sort of a clash between the two. Yeah, look, there's obviously a lot of fear out there and people are looking for solutions and that might, that's why they might want to take it. But the medical advice in Australia anyway is clear. Do not take this as a preventative measure for COVID-19 at the moment. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we speak to one of the heroes of the uh, lockdown, a Deliveroo rider. These people have... Given us a break from cooking when we've needed it most, but we're going to speak to a writer who says he was fired unfairly and given a week's notice when he'd been working for Deliveroo for three years. We'll take a deeper look at the gig economy off the back of that story. 
which many of you are part of. Thank you so much for listening to The Briefing today. We'll catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.